Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 24th of April. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by Citizens Party Victoria State Chairman and our resident engineering expert Jeremy Beck. Welcome Jeremy. Thanks Robbie. And welcome to the new socially distant studio. Yeah, it works really well. Okay, in this week's Citizens Report, put Australia to work. Fight for the Emergency National Investment Bank. And do you have the guts to see through the China smokescreen. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, put Australia to work. Fight for the Emergency National Investment Bank. Um, we are at a point in the pandemic crisis, Jeremy, where the pandemic itself in Australia is very much contained so far. Um, touch wood, we have to be you know, alert. Countries like Singapore have just had a had a, um, a spike, and they were one of the countries that did very well. So the pandemic's contained. Frankly, the real emergency now is the state of our economy. We are um, facing an unemployment crisis that could be the gravest Australia has faced since the Great Depression, right? And um, even if it didn't show up in the last lot of statistics, because of course a lot of people were stood down. And a lot of people were laid off because of the, the, um, the pandemic restrictions. But even if those restrictions are lifted sooner rather than later because of the success in containing the pandemic, the fear is that many of these service businesses that employed these people will not survive. And the risk is that the crisis could be worse than the Great Depression because now we're so reliant on imports, we hardly manufacture here in Australia. Yep. Whereas once ago, Years ago, we were more of an agricultural-based economy and more reliant on our own domestic production. Here, we're so dependent on the rest of the world. So having all these services jobs disappear, we could be left with a crisis even worse than the Great Depression. Well, one of the things that services jobs are vulnerable to, Jeremy, is it's based on the consumption behaviour of, of the public, right? And what happens is, in a crisis like this, people's behaviour can change. People's spending habits can change. People become much more concerned about not going to a restaurant or something like that, or saving a bit of money, right? And, and these, are the, these are the risks that people are seeing could be permanent risks to those sort of jobs. But you're right, we are more vulnerable to this crisis, as we put out in the press release today, we're more vulnerable to this crisis um, the, what, that the pandemic caused, and any other a similar crisis would have caused it, a war would have caused it, a big financial, global financial crisis would have caused it, because of the structural decay in our economy over many decades, and manufacturing is the headline of that. You know, this is a country that once had over 30% of its economy was manufacturing. Um, in 1980, it was slightly under 20%, and uh, today it is down to 6%. And that means we are dependent on overseas imports for necessities, absolute necessities. And of course, the one that everyone recognised immediately was medical supplies. Um, on top of that, as we stated in the press release we put out today, uh, in, the, in this same period since the 1980s, we had all these financial reforms. And these were fatal because one of the things they did is they privatised all public banks and left the economy entirely at the mercy of private banks. 
And those private banks literally turned the economy upside down. And we, used, we showed a, a graph last week that was produced by Dr. Wilson Sy, and we'll produce, put it on the screen again. And you see it in the bank lending. So this is an economy entirely dependent on the lending of private banks. And that lending from 1990 to today has gone from 70% to business and just over 20% for um, mortgages to, to today, 65% for mortgages and um, just over 30% for business. And if you're not putting loans into businesses that create the jobs that employ the people that pay the mortgages, you're going to run into a problem, right? And that's th these are the problems that Australia already had, and it's why this crisis has become a lot worse. So we need to address that. We need to address the collapse in manufacturing. We need to address the, dis the, the, the extreme imbalance uh, in the, the, the upside-down nature of investment in Australia. And to do that... We need a national investment bank. And so the, C the Citizens Party and the Citizens Report for the last few weeks has had a theme. Um, the, the regular viewers will know on this question of a national investment bank. And our idea to turn the one existing public credit institution we've got in Australia, which is the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, um, which has a narrow focus at the moment on just clean energy projects, let's turn that into a national investment bank. And it can be done. As we sh showed on the, the, the um, show last week, Craig Isherwood went through the precedent of the Reconstruction Finance Corporation in America that Roosevelt used to fund the New Deal. And he did that because he wouldn't have got funding from the Congress. So there was this existing institution. He had $500 million in capital. He said, we'll use that. And over the next 20 years, that RFC lent out $50 billion to industry and for infrastructure for the United States. Right? And it was very, very successful um, for America and, and in its own right. So we need that here. We have one existing institution that is a public credit institution. That's the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. This is something the Greens and Gillard set up in 2012 for, the, like I said, the narrow focus of clean energy. We can adapt that. So what we've done is we've put out um, a release today explaining how. And I want to go through just the headlines of that. I'm not going to go through all the details, but I want to just give you a sense of how this would work legislatively. Because one of the things we noticed straight away when we first looked at this is that actually it wouldn't take very much at all, right? And so today we've finalised the proposed amendments. And I just, I'm going to read one, which is the main, it sort of sets the scene for what has to be done. So currently in the Clean Energy Finance Corporation Act from 2012, um, it lists its, as, as its object, the, the object of the legislation is this. The object of this Act is to establish the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to facilitate increased flows of finance into the clean energy sector. So we have not taken that away, we've just added to it in, in our proposed amendment. And we've added these words. And such further sectors of the Australian economy in which public and private enterprise are engaged in the production and transportation of tangible economic wealth, including manufacturing, agriculture, construction, mining, public utilities and transportation and the financing of nationwide infrastructure projects in water, high-speed rail and energy, among other vital aspects of the economy, to increase Australia's physical economic productivity and therefore the standard of living of all Australians. That's the proposal and there's a, there's a series of amendments to different parts of the legislation that back that up. And apart from changing its powers, the other thing we've, we've, we've had to do to the actual bill is to um, allow the government to go guarantee for its debts because then the Clean Energy Finance Corporation can issue bonds 
and we suggest they issue bonds to Australian superannuation funds, which will be a guaranteed investment for them. And those bonds can increase the capital of the bank from currently $10 billion to say $50 billion. And because it's a bank, it can lend out at a conservative lending ratio of 10 to 1, and that would give it capital for $500 billion of investment into the productive area of the Australian economy. So compare that to what we've done now. We've borrowed to spend about $320 billion, that's so far, right, to keep the economy idle. We're saying don't be the borrower, be the lender. Use the power of banking to issue up to $500 billion into lots of different projects for Australia. Now, there's all sorts of things that can be done. All sorts of projects are literally shovel-ready. Um, and, and on top of that, there's industries that people have been, there, there are lots of entrepreneurs around Australia that develop interest, industry ideas and just couldn't get, it, get anywhere with them because they couldn't get the funding from private banks or whatever. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jeremy will go through in quite a bit of detail one of those projects, just as an example, it's called the Hell's Gates Dam in North Queensland. And you'll see how this could get started straight away and start providing jobs for Australians. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're talking about put Australia to work, fight for the Emergency National Investment Bank. Before the break, I went through the changes we would make to the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to turn it into a national emergency national investment bank to fund projects. Now we want to talk about one of those projects that is ready to go now, the Hell's Gates Dam. Um, before we do, I just want to, if you, anything we cover on this show is covered in our weekly publication, the Australian Alert Service, including Jeremy Beck has already written an article on this Hellsgate Dam that's in this week's issue. Um, if you want more information and you haven't received a copy before, call in for a free copy on our toll-free number. But Jeremy, now let's, let's actually discuss this project. Explain to the viewers what is the Hellsgate Dam and what would it do? Hellsgate Dam is on the Burdekin River in North Queensland. The Burdekin River is the biggest river by peak flood volume. So at the time in the wet season, you get more water flushing down that Burdekin River than any other river in Australia. And that water... And North, North Queensland generally is yeah. very, very... It's the wettest, one of the wettest places in the world. Yeah, very much so. So that water can be captured in a dam and sent either over the Great Dividing Range or through it through tunnels. And that's called the Bradfield Scheme. And the Bradfield Scheme was designed by Australia's greatest engineer, Dr John Bradfield, who designed the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Story Bridge in Brisbane, among other projects. And he was also a, a dam designer. The, the Hell's Gates Dam is the centrepiece for the Bradfield Scheme. And already the federal government and the Queensland government are looking at a version of the Hell's Gates Dam. Unfortunately, this is a, a scaled down version and they don't intend to use it for the Bradfield scheme. So the well, even the scale, even the scaled down version will have a will, will will be quite useful. So let's go through what its benefit would be, but why, at a, especially at a time like this, we should be thinking big and go with the full project. Well, the the scaled down version would be about half the height of the dam wall. The the original dam wall that uh, Dr. Bradfield envisaged was a four hundred foot tall wall which is about 120 metres tall. Uh, so the, the scaled down version of the wall would be around about 50 metres high. Uh, so the water wouldn't be diverted over the Great Dividing Range, but it would be used in that local region, which would supply water security for Townsville and Charters Towers and 
in the, the local region and also open up ir irrigation areas. So it would be certainly useful, uh, but not nearly what we need. And the Bradfield scheme would change the entire nation and create many, many more jobs. Because so, what happens if you, if you did the 120 metre dam wall? What, what, what does that allow you to do? It not only provides uh, more water storage by far, but it increases the height, and, and that's called the head of water, and, and that's very important in engineering that you have a higher head of water so that you can send the water further over and it requires less or no pumping at all, and pumping's quite expensive to pump water over a mountain. Uh, but if you have a higher head, if, if you get the levels right, uh, you may not even need pumping in certain circumstances. And yep. there's a proposal by uh, Sir Leo Hilshire and Sir Frank Moore who have re-designed um, the, the Bradfield scheme, which Bradfield originally had the idea of sending the water over and it would end up going to Lake Eyre. But the, uh, the Hilshire and Moore proposal is, is to send the water into the Warrego River, which feeds into the Darling River, into the Murray-Darling Basin, which uh, they've done the levels and they say that it would not need even pumping, it would just be purely gravity because you'd build such a tall wall there at Hell's Gates that uh, the water would be banked up the river and it would just flow by gravity all so the way into the Murray-Darling Basin. So aside from providing irrigation along the way, it'll actually recharge Australia's existing most developed irrigation basin, right, mm -hmm. where, which, which produces food for 70 million people already. Yeah, but and that, of, as we saw in the drought, this drought can run out of water. And that's very important considering the Murray-Darling Basin uh, only receives a very small fraction of Australia's total rainfall and these basins in the north tropical regions receive the bulk of Australia's rainfall and most of that just flushes straight out into the Pacific mm -hmm. Ocean. So that, that is just a crucial project to, to build. It also generate hydroelectricity because you can uh, put some... Um, uh, depending on, there's, there's a number of different designs, uh, but depending on how you do it, you can pump water up into storage dams in the, in the top of the Great Dividing Range uh, on off-peak power, and then um, as the water goes down the other side, you can generate electricity uh, at peak demand. So you can do it one way like that, or you can send water through the, the Great Dividing Range through tunnels. And the Snowy Mountain Scheme used tunnels and also used pumping. So there are a few different proposals. Back in the 1980s, there's a proposal that Bob Catter was working on uh, with uh, Eric Heidecker, which uh, looked at the original Bradfield scheme and it proposed sending the water uh, over the Great Dividing Range all the way through to Lake Eyre. But the Murray-Darling Basin Plan is a, is a good plan too. The minimalist plan, simply, it's, it's not what we need in this time. In a Great Depression, you need great projects that are going to inspire the nation and get people to work. So and Jeremy, as an, as an example of, yeah. the, of cutting through the crap and actually mm -hmm. achieving a project like this, ha, what did Roosevelt do in America, especially with this Bonneville Dam? Yeah, well, that's right. The, the Bonneville Dam, uh, back in 1933, the, the situation was absolutely dire. And President Roosevelt, he was inaugurated in March of 1933. And... By uh, 30th of September 1933, he authorised the, the Bonneville Dam to be constructed. Now, at that time, it wasn't shovel-ready. So this is the 30th of September. By the time of the 17th of November, they had workers constructing the dam. It's just a matter of weeks. Six now, weeks. here, we've got this feasibility study and then have environmental impact studies and cultural studies and, and all these different studies. 
The current feasibility study for the current downsize, the, the, the smaller dam for the Hell's Gates, is saying that, oh, this whole process could take five to ten years. Now, uh, back in the Great Depression, Roosevelt managed to do it in a matter of weeks. We've got to fast track this, get the engineers going, get the drafters going, get all those necessary uh, contracts signed and get the workers digging, digging the dam straight away. Now, that should be done this year. We should have this dam constructed now or next year at the latest. Don't and, leave it five or ten years. And given how much this project has been looked at over decades, that mm. it certainly could be done. Mm. Now, we're, we're singling it out as one example, though, because that, what we're saying with the Clean Energy Finance Corporation is you could do lots of these types of projects and much smaller ones and even bigger ones if necessary all around Australia. There are, and in fact, I challenge the viewers, if you know of project ideas that are just sitting there on shelves in your area that could be helping to transform the productivity of your region that have never gone anywhere for financial reasons or whatever, let us know because we will publicise them. These are the things that this National Investment Bank idea could fund as well as industry ideas. And I just want to highlight, there's, a, there's any number of new industry ideas, but what, the, the, we have this thing called the um, National COVID-19 Coordination Commission, which has a National Manufacturing Task Force underneath it, headed by Andrew Liveris. He's proposed ideas such as a petrochemical industry for Australia, a coastal, coastal shipping industry, and packaged food exports, all of which are good ideas, and the, this, this investment bank could help fund those. But just in terms of the, the petrochemical stuff, Jeremy, we've now, the government has announced that because oil is so cheap right now, they've gone and bought a, a strategic fuel reserve for us, thank goodness, but where in the United States, that's where it's sitting. Well, how strategic is that for us? Whereas we, this, this pro, we should be funding the construction of, of storage facilities here, right? That could, mm -hmm. that could, again, could provide jobs and we could fuel the, supply, store our own fuel here. Definitely. We need those fuel tanks here. And we also need to, in the long term, or even the medium term, get back our own refinery capacity so we, we don't have this reliance on imported oil. Yep. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, change the tune. We'll go on to uh, the China issue. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. Finally, do you have the guts to see through the China smokescreen? Now, I foreshadowed this last week when I touched on the Epoch Times. I'm going to do a lot, talk about that a bit more in the time we have. We're not going to do justice to it, though. We never, we never have enough time on this show. So there's a three-page article I've written in, in this week's issue of the Australian Alert Service. People can read that for more detail. But I want to go through the highlights of it. But it's not just about the Epoch Times. I want to talk to you, the viewer, because so many Australians are being whipped up right now into this anti-China hysteria, and we are combating it for a reason. Um, so be behind the blizzard of attacks on China... There's something else that's always going on. And I want to give you some examples of that. We have this hysteria about China buying Australia because it's in the headlines all the time and everyone thinks China has bought up Australia. And, of course, one of the things that China buys up is sensible stuff. They value agriculture. Our government doesn't. They do, right? So they buy... We're dumb enough to sell farms, they buy them, right? And stuff like that. Um, to me, the onus isn't on the, on the, on the buyer... It's on the seller. Why don't we value it as much as the Chinese do? This is, a, this is, as Australian citizens, this is incumbent on us to take on our government on these issues. However, despite all the headlines, China's foreign investment in Australia is tiny compared to the United States, $63 billion. 
It's down from 85 billion. In, it's falling, right? It's down from more than 20 billion dollars in three years. Yet in that time, while we've been made so hysterical about it, United States investment has increased. Just the increase has been by more than total Chinese investment. Total, right? The increase is $80 billion. What is America buying that we're not looking at? That's not never in the headlines, right? What's behind the smoke screen? I can't tell you because the media don't report it and I haven't had time to go and track it all down yet, right? I was just, but that's an example. We should be asking, what is America buying? What is the UK buying? It's increasing its holdings. What's Belgium buying? It's increasing its holdings, right? Yet all we see is China. Another example, we had all this hysteria over foreign interference in Huawei um, and, and the five, Huawei building 5G. Yet the same Australian government that's hysterical about Huawei, right, because Huawei supposedly has this, has this clause in its legislation um, to uh, allow the Chinese government to use it to spy, our government has passed the same law forcing Australian corporations to let it use them to spy on us. We have exactly the same thing, yet it doesn't get the attention the United States has. Something else that's just come up is we have this coronavirus app that we're being told about, right, to help us be, you know, uh, locate who, who this, this tracing app to who we might have come in contact with if you've got coronavirus. Now, this, this has made people concerned. We said, well, there's probably some ways you could do it in a, that, that, that um, guards against those, that, those concerns. But what's the Australian government just done? They've gone and awarded the contract to Amazon. There were Australian companies that they could have awarded to. They've gone to award it to Amazon, which is, a, which, which is a contractor to the Pentagon. Yet they get to do this while the population is all hysterical about China. Right? These are the, this is the hysteria we're talking about. So just quickly, I want to, play, I want to go back to the, the, the question of the, the attacks on China at the moment about the virus and the Wuhan lab thing, which I foreshadowed last week because of the... Um, uh, the, this Epoch Times has spearheaded this to suddenly we've got to blame China for the, for the virus. Have a quick look at this video. In October 2013, she and her team published a paper in the authoritative science journal Nature. They claimed a breakthrough in coronavirus research. What was their breakthrough? They successfully isolated three viruses from bats, one of which had an S protein that integrated with human ACE2 receptors. This effectively demonstrated the human infection of SARS-like viruses to humans without the need of an intermediary host. Then, in November 2015, she and her team at the Wuhan lab once again published a paper, this time in the British journal Nature Medicine. They discussed the creation of a synthetic virus, a self-replicating chimeric virus. This virus had the SARS virus as the framework, with the key S protein replaced by the one they had found in a bat coronavirus she mentioned in her 2013 paper. This new virus demonstrated a powerful ability for cross-species infection. The mice infected with this synthetic virus revealed severe lung damage with no cure. This symbolized that Xi's successful splicing of the SARS virus was a key to open the door to the cross-species transmission. What is startling is that these successful experiments on mice were only the tip of the iceberg. They planned to further experiment on primates. Although Xi Zhengli did not indicate any conclusion from this research, her move to research on primates 
suggests this was to more closely simulate the infection of humans with this new synthetic virus. So this is unusual, but I, I needed to cover this, and we have a lot of YouTube viewers, so you'll, you'll get to see more of the details here, because um, this was an important point about the Epoch Times documentary. They've, it's, very, it's, it's very much part of a disinformation campaign to suddenly blame China um, for, the, for the coronavirus. Because let me remind you, when China and Wuhan was the epicenter of this virus back in February, no one was questioning the figures out of China. It all looked bad. We're going, oh my God, look how bad that is. The reason why no one was questioning the figures then is the same reason no one should be questioning the figures now out of China, which is that the countries around China, South Korea, Taiwan, um, Hong Kong, or the China's closest neighbours, sorry, um, uh, their figures were proportionate to what was happening in China. Right, so Taiwan only has a handful of cases. South Korea had, a, had an explosion; it got it under control. Hong Kong got it under control. Singapore got it under control initially. It's had a, it's had a flare up now. But my point is, they were proportionate, right? And that's why the three thousand deaths or the three and a half thousand deaths in China, which has now been revised upwards slightly by twelve hundred, people could accept they were right because there weren't there weren't hundreds of thousands of deaths in those other countries, right? But now suddenly that had to change because when Italy got its cases and then Spain got its cases and there was a bigger flare-up, all of a sudden the Western media disinformation kicked in and said, there's no way China, that dirty backward country China, could perform better than advanced industrial countries Italy and Spain. Sorry, there is a way because thanks to the way Spain and Italy have been treated since the global financial crisis, their hospital systems have been depleted. That's why they had such a problem. China is an advancing country. Unfortunately, most Western countries are in retreat economically and in terms of their infrastructure, right? So that explains that. But no, they couldn't. So they had to come up with, with, with a line, right? Oh, China must be lying about their figures to save face. And this is where the Epoch Times is so bad. Because the Epoch Times, as I said last week, is the, is the, is the organ of the, Epoch, of the Fulon Gong organisation, which is frankly a cult. They have bizarre, absolutely bizarre beliefs. There's an Australian who worked for them for 10 years as a, as a Falun Gong practitioner and author for the Epoch Times, Ben Hurley, who you can read his article on Medium where, now that he's left. And he, the reason he left is his friends were dying and they were dying because they weren't getting medical treatment because you aren't allowed to in Falun Gong. You have to just meditate and fix it that way, right? And he felt bad because a very close friend had died and he didn't even tell her to get medical treatment, even though she obviously had a tumour on the side of her head. In fact, he wouldn't even acknowledge the tumour because that was bad. The leader of Fulham Gong says, you can't do that, you just got to meditate. And why, is, why can't you go to the doctor? Because medical science is evil because it's, they believe there's actual aliens taking over the human race through cloning and, that clo and cloning is done through medical procedures. That's what they believe. So as I said last week, do not take the word of the newspaper of this organisation seriously on anything to do with medical issues, and that's what coronavirus is. At least we should be able to agree on that. But it's, um, apart from that, they are running real disinformation at the moment. So the first thing they said when people were questioning China's figures in comparison to Italy, oh, Epoch Times did an article that said, oh, there's um, the number of, the, the Chinese authorities reported that the number of mobile phone users in China in the previous three months had gone down by 21 million. And there was a reason for that, because China has a mobile workforce and a lot of those people have more than one phone, but under the lockdown circumstances, they cancelled their second phone. It was a very mundane, boring, explicable reason. No, that's not good enough. The Epoch Times had to um, 
raise the possibility that there could have been millions of deaths in China from coronavirus. And what shocked me is the number of people I know who gave it credence. And they only gave it credence because it was China. And they didn't bother to think that, hang on, if there's 20 million people dead in China from coronavirus, there must be, there must be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in China's neighbours. There must be hundreds of, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of cases in Australia. There's no way you could have that many dead in China without a massive problem around the world. But they didn't stop to think about that because it's China. And it's such a b bizarre thing to believe about, to be prepared to believe about a country. It really reinforces how demented this has become. And it's why I'm speaking out and the Citizens Party is speaking out because you start believing that then you'll believe any claim that people who have really nasty motives make to get us into war. And that brings me to the people that are suddenly have got behind this Epoch Times operation. Um, and they are the, what we call the War Party faction in the United Kingdom and the United States. So the documentary I played a second ago is, is, the, is, is the documentary that first, um, that has fueled all this discussion in the last three weeks on did, did China, did this either escape from, a, from the Wuhan lab or was it deliberately released, right? And this is, that was an Epoch Times documentary. That documentary was released three days after the Henry Jackson Society in the United Kingdom um, called for reparations against China to the tune of 3.2 trillion pounds, and that's just, that's just the G7 countries, demanding 3.7 trillion pounds of reparations against China. So who's the Henry Jackson Society? Well, this is the, this, this is the hardest of hardcore neoconservatives. These are the people who have cheerled every war that the United States and the United Kingdom have got into in the last 20 years that has literally left the world dripping in blood. Right? And that's Iraq, that's Syria, that's Libya. And in fact, to really see how they think, when the Libya intervention happened, and Libya, if you know the story, Libya was a, an advanced African country under Gaddafi. Right? Gaddafi was neither here nor there. You know, people like him are idiosyncratic. He had, he had some weird ideas. But his country functioned in North Africa. It was an advanced North African country. It is now a failed state. It is a haven for al-Qaeda and ISIS terrorists. The, the Muslim fundamentalists that are now running riot in Libya actually practice slave trading of black African people on the streets of Tripoli. That's what this intervention turned it into. Yet in 2011, just after they had killed Gaddafi and with their intervention, the co-founder of the Henry Jackson Society, Dr. Brendan Sims, wrote an article where he crowed, yes, democracy can be dropped from 10,000 feet. And what he meant by that is, we can bomb a country into democracy. Well, look where it's got the Libyans, right? That's the quality of this organisation. Now, Andrew Hastie, a member, Liberal Member of Parliament here, who's one of the biggest China bashers in Parliament, when he made his comparison last year between the, the Nazis and China, he made it at a speech at the Henry Jackson Society in London. That's who these people are. So I'm happy for China to pay reparations for coronavirus if they are calculated as a, based on a formula of what America and Britain paid to Iraq for reparations for lying to invade them and killing a million people. And of course, that would be a percentage of zero, right? So this is, this is the worst form of hypocrisy that's coming out of these guys now. Um, the what about the Wall Street bankers who caused a global financial crisis? Who's going to pay for the reparations? Who pays? That's exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, these, these are the, you know, we've got to stop and think about these things, right? Because while, while they have... While they caused this crisis, at least then China got on with building infrastructure um, and actually ra you know, raising living standards, etc. 
Um, uh, now they, now they, they then, uh, so they made this call for reparations and the Epoch Times produced this documentary. The, I've said the main thing I want to say about it, which is the centrepiece is this focus on this woman, Batwoman, right, who's this researcher. And the main point to understand is everything she does, this research in this lab, first of all, this lab cooperates with the United States researchers, right? Her paper that they zeroed in on, they said, you know, um, Xi Jing Li and her team, what they said, that was a paper with 15 authors, 12 of whom were Americans and only two were Chinese, Right in that in that clip that I showed you, but they don't say that because they want to they want to create a drum roll, and and one of the targets here is Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't have time to check these details. If you watch the the Epoch Times video, you'd be convinced of most of them as well. Most people would be, and certainly the president of the United States would be, because the people surrounding him want him to be convinced of this, because they want to turn Donald Trump left to his instincts, wants to be friends with Xi. Yes, he wants to rebalance the trade relationship, which he should. That's the right thing to do. But he wants to stay friends, but instead he's surrounded by people who want to turn it into a war. And that's, just, that's the American version of this Henry Jackson Society crowd, the same people involved in the Iraq war. And you also see that in the documentary. And I'll, You'll see one of the people I want to put on the screen there from the documentary is General Robert Spaulding. So he was, he was, he was one of the experts this, this Epoch Times documentary relied on. General Robert Spaulding is very much one of this um, crowd in, in Washington that are desperate for a war with China. He's, he was present at the founding last May of, or last March, sorry, of an organisation called the Committee for the Present Danger China. And you see this, um, th just this image I want to show you where he's being introduced at that conference by Frank Gaffney. And that Frank Gaffney's the bearded guy and Robert Spaulding's the guy behind him. Frank Gaffney is the vice president or the vice chairman of the Committee for the Present Danger China. He's the chairman of the, the, the Centre for Security Policy. He is a nut job. But here's an example of, what, of, of what's um, driving this China stuff at the moment. Because Frank Gaffney, up until a few years ago, never talked about China. He talked about Muslims, 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 Muslims. His organisation spewed out more anti-Muslim bile. Now... I'm talking about not. I'm not talking about exposés of ISIS. I'm talking about the stuff where you, the viewer, was told you should be fearing every Muslim person you know. Just like now, you're being encouraged to fear everything Chinese. That sort of information, Facebook memes, etc., that went around, came from this guy's organisation. They were the source of most of them. And in fact, he's so demented on it. There's people in the Republican Party in America. He, he accuses them all of being Muslim infiltrators. Right, including um, top anti-tax activists and whatever. If they had any family relation that was Muslim, one guy had a wife who happened to be Muslim, and they were all proof of the Muslim infiltration of the United States, according to Frank Gaffney. Now, he was saying that as long as America's and, and UK's regime change interventions were targeting Muslim countries, Iraq, Libya, Syria, now that China's their goal, Flick a switch, and it's all China, 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 right? So is China a perfect country? No. But one of the points I made in the article I wrote is that I listed a lot of the mistakes America made and a lot of the mistakes UK made in dealing with this coronavirus. For instance, in the UK, they have a national security committee called the COBRA committee, and the prime minister is always present at the COBRA committee meetings. The first five COBRA committee meetings in, in, from January to early March on the coronavirus, 
Boris Johnson didn't bother attending because nobody took it seriously, right? That's not China's fault. But if that happened in China, that would be proof of how bad China's system is. It happens in the UK, it's regarded as a stuff up, right? Same thing in the United States. They didn't take it seriously. That's, and, and in fact, they did, they did worse stuff. The, C, the, the CDC in the United States wouldn't let local doctors produce their own tests for six weeks. And they were way behind the eight ball. There was a woman in Seattle that wanted to do tests on, on already deceased people to see if they might have also died of coronavirus. She was refused permission for two weeks. For some reason, the local authorities, the state authorities and the federal authorities did not want her to do those tests. She finally did them after two weeks by defying their orders. If that happened in China, that would be proof of how bad China is. But that happened in the United States. These things happen in a crisis like this, right? Do not fall, automatically fall for you hear a story out of China. That must mean it's got a bad system. Because in truth, while our economies adopting a, a form of neoliberalism that's turned us into financial casinos have gone massively backwards, China, which was a backwards communist country, decided to change its economic system. Deng Xiaoping said in the 80s, it doesn't matter if the cat is black or white as long as it catches mice. They adopted the best of our policies. They adopted state banking to invest in infrastructure and industry. Right? They adopted those sort of, and, and, and actually, actually put it into practice. They, they, they did the, they've done the biggest investment program in the history of the world. In, and yes, they've got a property bubble in China, but they've also done it. That's not the only story. They've done a lot of real things there. And their living standards have gone up in the period that ours have gone down. They didn't adopt the policies that we've got. They adopted the policies that we had, right? That we got rid of to our, that, as we showed at the beginning of the show, to our, to our um, uh, to, that, that's left us so exposed. And if anyone's visited China, and I have in the last year, uh, is incredible. I couldn't believe the, the middle class is just huge. Uh, there's a lot of wealthy Chinese that you would have never seen even you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So these policies are working. Yeah, infrastructure spending creates wealth. And you can see it before your eyes. You go and visit there where you can't now. But, yeah. and, don't, and don't be surprised that a country that could land on the dark side of the moon has a, has a, medic, a medical and scientific capability that allowed them to get on top of coronavirus. Don't be surprised. And instead of falling for the people who ha exist for war, let's have a system in the world where we collaborate together, especially on crises like this. These are the crises that, that, that cross borders. We should not give up our sovereignty, but sorry, we already have. Right? We're not sovereign. We let our foreign policy decisions and our military decisions be made in the United States and the United Kingdom. Right? This is why China thinks we're a joke. When, when they said, what they said to Peter Dutton the other day was right. When he, when he attacked China over the source of this virus, they said, well, he's probably just under orders, and he probably is. Right? And that's the country that we've let happen. So if we really want sovereignty, it's not about China we're trying to got to free ourselves from. It's about these, these, these other people that are behind the smokescreen that are using China as a smokescreen. That's what the Citizens Party is fighting for. And the first part of that starts with getting our economy back on track. And that's why we're fighting so hard for these economic solutions to do that. So if you want to be part of that fight, stick with us. Right. If you want to if you want to if, if you if you don't mind ending up in a war with China, keep going the other way. That's all we can say. But anyway, enough of that. I've had my piece. This is this has been an unusual episode of the Citizens Report. Um, uh, thanks very much, uh, Jeremy. Thanks to the viewers who've hung until the end. Um, we won't do this very often, but this is a particularly dangerous time at the moment, which is why it had to be said. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for more of the Citizens Report.